If you've got your Bibles with, uh, with you this morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5, and uh, you, could, you could go ahead and turn there. Um, next week, we're going to start a series looking at the book of First Peter, and uh, I've entitled this sermon series, uh, The True Grace of God, and I'll read to you, First Peter 5.12 says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And uh, I think that'll be a, a neat study for us to look at what the true grace of God is. We're going to start that uh, next week. But today, I wanted to just kind of stick with Moses and Joshua for a few minutes. Children's Church is going, yes, with uh, Miss Lori, Mr. Phil. Children's Church, we haven't had Children's Church in a while, but it is uh, back on this morning in the old sanctuary. Thank you, Lori. I need all kinds of people to keep me straight. So, um, but yes, looking forward to that. We're going to look at Moses and Joshua um, this morning, though. We're going to continue looking at the, we, we looked at last week when um, God said to Moses, you're not taking the people into the promised land. I have someone else. And Joshua was appointed as the leader. And uh, it, as we look this morning, we go to where Joshua meets this man uh, as he's overlooking Jericho. With, this, with a drawn sword, and jo- Joshua's got the question for him, are you for us or against us? And it reminded me um, of when I was in fifth grade, and I went to a K through eighth grade school, which is a little bit different than I do now, and a lot of you probably remember getting dropped off at school, and then you were just there on the playground until the bell rang. You guys, they don't do that anymore, but how many of you got dropped off or walked to school and you were just outside for a while. Well, there was a standing football game uh, in the playground, and if you were in second or third or fourth grade, you mean don't even think about going over there to join the game. But when you were in fifth grade, you would kind of hang around and maybe hope that you would be one of the last ones picked for the team. Of course, this wasn't, you know, PE ever, the teachers are there. And they're making sure everyone gets picked, everyone gets on a team, everyone's happy. But this, this was the playground, right? And so you had two guys picking teams, and you know who got picked last? The fifth graders, right? But uh, so anyways, this was, it made, I, made, I was remembering that, um, and probably some of you have memories of picking teams and, and choosing what side you were going to be on. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So if, you're, if you've read through the book of Joshua, you know it reads like an, like an action movie almost. Like if you were going to make an action movie out of the Bible, if, if it were my choice, it'd be right here out of these chapters. So we saw that uh, Joshua was appointed as successor to Moses. Um, we see him getting, getting the troops ready to go. Chapter 2 uh, spies are sent to Jericho to kind of check out the fortifications. And of course, uh, Rahab, the prostitute, uh, helps them hide and escape. Chapter 3, the, uh, the children of Israel still in the wilderness on the banks of the Jordan River at flood stage. How are they going to get across? And of course, the Lord parts that. They cross the Jordan River. Uh, in chapter 4, they, they take the time to, to build a memorial so that they would, when they saw this, this uh, stack of 12 stones, they would say to their children, when their children asked, why are these stones here? They would say, well, this is what the Lord did. This is why these stones were there. 
Um, chapter 5 is interesting. We learn that during the 40 years of being in the wilderness, God had, of course, God had commanded that um, all Israelite male children were to be circumcised on the eighth day. We find that during the last 40 years, none of them have been circumcised. So there was a, uh, an event that um, it would have been interesting, all I can say. Uh, within a few days, they observed pa- the Passover. It was that time of year that was the Passover celebration. And then, of course, chapter 6, they marched on Jericho. The city was given to their hands, and they continued uh, throughout the book of Joshua as they, as they moved into the promised land. So the command last week that we talked about in chapter 1 was uh, to be strong and courageous. And God had commanded, commanded Joshua three times to be strong and courageous. And I've got three reasons here why they needed that. One was because, like I said, they're on the bank of the Jordan River, and this land that they were to take was on the other side. And how would they cross? It was the springtime. The, the river was full. The banks were swollen. It says that they... Uh, the, the, the river was overflowing its banks. Uh, for the men, this, this circumcision day, be strong and courageous was the command for them. Laugh, but you weren't there. <laughs> I wasn't either, but... The other thing was the, the, the Passover meal. When they ate that first Passover meal in, in the promised land, that was the end of the manna. And the manna was the daily provision of food from heaven. And, uh, and God said, you won't get that anymore. You will eat from the fruits of the land. And so they had a lot of reasons why they needed to be strong, a lot of reasons why they needed to be cur- uh, courageous. So if it were me, those, that's what I would be doing. I'd be just clinging to those promises that uh, God had given. Be strong and courageous. These commands, really, more than the promise. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Here's a promise. For the Lord will be with you wherever you go. We kind of looked at that um, last week. And so if, I'd be thinking about these things. And so let me, um, why don't we, we'll, we'll read this and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word and thank you for this this passage of scripture where, where Joshua is uh, learning more about you and learning more about what it means to uh, walk with you and more about what it means to submit to you. And Lord, as we study these verses this morning, I ask that you would teach us, that you would show us, and that we would have a better understanding of how you uh, would have us to walk in this life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in verse 13, we find Joshua, he's not with the children of Israel who are camped at Gilgal. He's several miles away, and for he's, he just says he's by Jericho. And I'm guessing, um, you know, thinking, well, what, what would he be doing there? Maybe he, was, maybe he was praying. He wanted to be alone and pray. Maybe he wanted to survey the city for himself and kind of get a, a sense of, of where they could attack from or where the strongholds were. Um, 
you know, maybe he was just asking God, like, God, what, do you, what are we supposed to do? You know, we, we were, we've been slaves. We've been nomads. We're not, you know, how do we besiege a city? And uh, so as he's there, it says, he, he, he looked up, and a man was standing before him with, a, with his sword drawn. All right, so this, this guy is not just uh, somebody wandering around, you know, he's not a shepherd with some sheep, he's a soldier, and more significantly, he's got his sword drawn. So this was, a, a, in my opinion, this was a challenge to Joshua and his leadership. And Joshua asked a question, I think is a valid question, are you with us or for our adversaries? I mean, he was obviously a soldier, Joshua was preparing for a battle, and here's this man, are you with us or for our adversaries? And I think it's a a valid question, and I think that Joshua asking this question, here's a man that um, as a young man would have seen the plagues in Egypt, he would have he would have crossed the Red Sea with, with the people as a young man. He experienced the provision of God through manna for food, water from the rock. He, he watched God as God protected them from the Amalekites. And all these experiences that Joshua had, had in the last 40 years, over and over and over again, he had observed that God was for the people of Israel. And he had the, the promises from God himself Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He had the promises, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Like, God had spoken those things to Joshua. So he, this is, he, it was, he was in charge. He was the man. Not only that, God had promised to Joshua the city of Jericho that he was standing there looking at it was to be given into his hand. God had promised him, wherever the sole of your foot touches, that land will be yours. And so Joshua had a lot of confidence, I think, um, on one hand, probably a lot of questions and concern on another hand, but he was in the position to ask this question to this man because he was, he was the ranking, he was the man for the people of Israel. Are you for us or for our adversaries? So it's a valid question unless you're talking to God. And it just so happens, we'll see that that's exactly what Josh was doing. Because this is the answer that he gets as he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Uh, The man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant. So the question is, well, who is this guy? Who is this guy with the drawn sword? And some would say that this was an, an angelic being. Um, and you would say, well, you know, w- w- what would support that? And maybe Exodus chapter 33, where it says no one can see God and live, would indicate it wasn't God. Um, some would say this, this word worship, you could say, well, yeah, it says Joshua fell and worshiped him, but you could say that he was paying homage to him or he was just showing reverence to him. And that's why. I think it would be an angel. Now, personally, when I read this, I think that Joshua was talking to God himself. And the reason I would say that is because, one, um, this word that's translated worship that we read, Joshua fell on his faith and worshiped and said to him, that's kind of the more common translation for that word. Instead of homage or reverence, it was worship, which means he was worshiping him. He was recognizing him as God. Um, Another reason why I think that this was 
God was because if we look at Revelation chapter 22, we see John fell down and worshiped the angel who had given him the revelation, who had shown him the vision. And the angel said to John, stand up, get on your feet. Don't worship me. I'm a servant of the Lord. Worship God only. And this angel of the, or excuse me, commander of the Lord's army allowed Joshua to worship. So again, indicating that this was not an angel, but was God himself. And then verse 15, right here at the end of verse 15, um, Joshua gets this, these instructions. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, I'm guessing that Joshua had heard Moses tell the story of the burning bush one or two times. Probably 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 times. Joshua had heard plenty of times of the time when Moses was tending his sheep going along and there was this burning bush. It was this bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. So uh, Moses went over to see what it was. And God spoke to Moses out of the bush from Exodus chapter 3. Verse 5 and 6 say this. He said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. It's the same instructions. But here in Exodus, we get some additional information. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So no question here. The the burning bush, this was God. And God's instructions to Moses, "Take take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. So I think that we, we find here Joshua, in M- Moses saw God through the burning bush. Joshua is looking at God through this man, identifying himself as the commander of the Lord's army. And so jo- uh, Joshua's question was, are you for us or are you against us? And God's response was, no. Neither, maybe your translation says, I'm not for you or against you. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, well, who are you for? Not, not for us, not for them. What's, what's the instruction? But I believe God is saying to him, he says, he says, I think it's verse, is it 14? Yes, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. God has come. He's there. I'm the God. He's saying, I brought you out of Egypt. I have sustained you the last 40 years. I'm here to lead you into uh, conquering Jericho, to conquer the the promised land. And so I think now Joshua's got the right response here. He fell on his face to the earth. He worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? God, what do you have for me? If you are God, what do you have for me? Now, when we look at this and we say, are you for us or against us? We want, don't we want God to say, yes, I'm for you. Anybody? Just me? <laughs> well, I want to assure us all this morning that God is for us in the sense that he loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants, he wants, um, he wants to be with us. He wants what's best for us. Like, I believe that God wants what's best for each one of us. But we also have to be clear that when we come into a relationship with God, he is not joining our team. We are joining his team. We are not joining, he is not joining our side. We are joining his side. 
side. We are coming into his family. He is the leader. He is our savior. He's the king. He's our redeemer. He's not joining us. We are joining him. And the really cool thing is, in his great mercy, he asks us to join him in what he's doing. We have that opportunity to join him. And he gives us, he gives us promises. He had promised Joshua and the people of Israel, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We looked at last week how that applies to us as well. Um, if we look in Romans, we see nothing can separate us from, a, from the love of God. In Philippians, we learn we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. There's a lot of good promises that come with being in a relationship with God. And we can, we can read these things, we understand these things, we get this sense that, 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 God's, that God is for us. He, he will support us. He will give us the power to do what he asks us to do. And so as we, as we raise our children, parents, we, we cling to some of these promises that he's promised us. Grandparents, maybe as you are praying for your kids and your grandkids, you are claiming these promises. We're holding on to these promises when we have health issues or maybe tests for our health or we're facing uncertainty or uh, doubt because of circumstances in life. And I think Joshua was doing those things. He was, he was counting that God would be with him, God would be for him, God would see him through whatever that meant with the people of Israel as they faced uh, the city of Jericho and then the rest of the promised land. But I think Joshua had to be reminded on that day of another truth. And that is that we don't fight our battles alone. This wasn't Joshua and the people of Israel that were getting ready to take on uh, the Canaanites and the city of Jericho. But that God would be fighting the battle for them. And this is actually a truth that Moses had already given to Joshua. In, in Deuteronomy 3, uh, Moses had already told Uh, Joshua, do not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. That was true for them at that time. That's true for us today. It's a biblical truth, and we see that over and over again. I want to look at a couple of examples. Um, One of them we've already talked about, the Israelites. When God led them out of Egypt, we're talking about a bunch of slaves. And they they were fleeing Egypt, and they arrived at the Dead Sea, essentially a dead end. And they knew that the Egyptian army was coming behind them. Trained soldiers, horses, chariots, swords and spears. And these were a bunch of essentially escaped slaves. But Moses gave them the right perspective in Exodus chapter 14. This is what Moses told the people. He said, the Lord will fight for you. Oh, do we have uh, verse 13, Craig? Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. This was Moses' instruction to the people. This is, this is true for us. Stand, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Some translations say you have only to be still. Be still and watch the Lord work. Too often we want to get ahead of God and we're like, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I've got to... And sometimes God's saying, just wait, I've got this. 
I think of the Israelites in the, in the Valley of Elah, and that's where they faced off against the Philistines. And the Egyptian army was on, on one side of the valley, and the Philistine army was on the other side of the valley. Of course, they had their great warrior, Goliath. And Goliath would come out each day and challenge the people of Israel. And essentially, they were just afraid. They, they had no battle plan. They, there was not one person willing to take on uh, Goliath, man-to-man, as Goliath wanted to do. And uh, David came and faced off Goliath. And David had an understanding that the, the rest of the people seemed not to have. And so David, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he's speaking to Goliath and he's telling him why he had the confidence to go against him. He said, all this assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle of the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David understood it wasn't up to him to defeat Goliath, that the Lord would bring victory. I've got another example for us here in 2 Kings. Uh, it tells of the time when the nation of Syria was essentially on the warpath, and they were, um, they were attacking different Israelite settlements. But it seemed like every time they made a move, that the Israelites were countering that move, and they were being thwarted. And the king of Syria thought he had a traitor in his camp. He had someone, he had someone, he had a spy in their midst. And so he said to his advisors, go and see, excuse me, so the advisors came to him and said, no, it's not one of us, it's Elisha. And God's telling Elisha what our plans are, and he's thwarting your attempt. So he said to his advisors, go and see where he is, go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. So it was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan, uh, down in Alabama. <laughs> so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, surrounded the city. When the, servant, when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha allowed his servant, or prayed, and God allowed both of them to see the right perspective. That it wasn't Elisha and the servant against these men, but that it was a spiritual battle and that God was for them. I thought it was interesting, I was reading this week, that in the heat of the, uh, the American Civil War, one of President Lincoln's advisors made a comment. He said to the president um, that he was grateful that God was on the side of the Union. And Lincoln replied, Sir... My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. So this morning, we need to make sure that our perspective is, is right. Yes, God is for us, but when we say that, we don't mean that God's on our side. We need to be on God's side. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, 
we are not waging war according to the flesh. So we, we live in physical bodies, but we are not, we're not in a physical battle. When, you, when uh, husbands and wives, when you have a disagreement, you're not fighting each other. When you have an issue with your coworker or employer, a lot of times that's not a, a, a battle between two people. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. If you're a Christian and you claim to be a follower of Christ, the devil will do what he can to throw you off track, to discourage you, to, uh, to make you mad, to um, have doubt. And I'll tell you, he uses people. He uses people to get to us. And when we have in a lot of these conflicts that we have, especially uh, you, let's, you're, you're a Christian and you're in the workplace and your co-workers, they know you go to church, right? And they, they're watching to see how you react. That's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a physical battle. It's not me versus you when some of these things happen. This is a spiritual battle. And it is one in the spiritual realms. When Sarah and I have a disagreement... We have to realize sometimes, wait a minute, are we really fighting over the dishes in the dishwasher? That, that's not a physical battle between Sarah and I. This is, that's a spiritual battle. The forces of the evil one are trying to knock us off track. So this question this morning that, that, that Joshua asked to, to God, are you for us or against us? That seems like a ridiculous question. To ask God, are you for me, God, or are you against me? I want to know. We, we see Joshua changed his posture when he realized who he was speaking to. He got, he got down on his face. But so often I find for myself, I see people, they're living their lives and they're saying, I'm going to go do, do this and I'm going to have this career. We're making this change and we're, uh, a lot of you decided to move to Blairsville. Glad that you did. I'm one of you. I moved here. Some of you were born here. We make our plans. We make our decisions. And we just say to God, this is what, this is what I'm doing. Are you with me? And that's, that's, dang, that's dangerous ground. So as we, we do have to make plans, we do have to go about our business. We do. I mean, it's great to have hobbies and to enjoy recreation and to have all kinds of endeavors, whether it's in business or with family or with friends. But are we asking God first, what do you have for me? Or are we saying to God, this is what I'm doing, will you bless me? It's the perspective. Like how you live your life might look pretty similar to someone who is, um, in some ways, to someone who is just making their own choices without checking with God. But it's the perspective. It's having that right attitude. Joshua was, a, was planning to attack Jericho with the right perspective or wrong perspective. But he had the blessing of the Lord when he recognized that God was in charge. He was going to submit to God's authority and, uh, and to do it his way. So we should be praying, God, I see this opportunity. I see that we've got this option. I see that um, this is a possibility. Is this what you have for me? Is this your path for me? Is this what you want me to do? So, so Joshua had the decision that day with this man with the drawn sword. It was God, the commander of the Lord's army. And we would say, 
Well, yeah, he made the obvious choice. What else would he do? It's a little trickier in our own lives to see whether or not we're making the obvious choice to submit to God. Because it's very easy just to do uh, the opposite, to say, God, this is what I'm doing. Will you join me in that? When we need to be saying, God, what are you doing? Because I want to join you in whatever it is that you're doing. So this is a, this is a simple way to, to um, I, I think, to frame it as individuals, as couples, as a family. Um, I think that this kind of encompasses any decision that you make. You, you could say, I want to join God in leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does, what does a work decision have to do with that? What does where we live have to do with that? What does whether or not uh, I take up golf or fishing or hunting or how much time I spend doing that? Whatever we do, wherever we go, whoever we're with, it's always an opportunity to be leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not just a sense of, oh, well, you don't know God, let me tell you about him. Now, Sally told, told us this morning of her experience where, where she um, went to church, followed a dog to the church, <laughs> the neighboring church, and somebody told her that Jesus loved her. She didn't know that. And so that's part of that. The other part of it, that growing relationship part, is for all of us. We all need to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. And as we say to him, God, I'm going to put you first. I want to join you in what you're doing. It changes our perspective in how we work and how we raise our families and what hobbies we take on, who we take those things on with. And it's all an opportunity to give honor and glory to him as we submit to his authority the way Joshua did. And so that's my prayer for myself It's my prayer for Sarah and I, it's my prayer for our family, but it's also my prayer for our church family, that that would be our focus in everything that we do, whether it's work, pleasure, business, church, that we're all doing it all to the glory of God, that people would know who he is, and that we would be growing in that relationship with him. That's what we need to be about as a church. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that uh, you would send your son to die on the cross for our sins. Each one of us, we choose our own way, we do what we want, and while we're out there doing that, you demonstrated your love to us. And uh, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that we could come into a relationship with you when we recognize that we've gone astray and we need a savior. Uh, Lord, I pray that if there's someone that doesn't understand that this morning, that they would come to the front. Thank you for uh, Peggy, who's here ready to pray with someone, for Sally, who I know would be glad to talk to people this morning. God, I ask that you would give us an understanding that the first step to being on your team is to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that every single person would have that understanding here this morning. Lord, uh, would you make that clear to each one of us? And then, Lord, moving forward, as we, as we live our lives, Lord, I think you, you are delighted to see us make plans to um, enjoy time with family, enjoy time with friends, enjoy this beautiful creation that you've given us. And, Lord, I, I know that you want us to recognize that we need to join your team. We need to submit ourselves to you as we go about our life. We need to do it recognizing that all good things come from you, recognizing that you have a plan 
that we should be seeking you, that we should be looking to you as we make decisions, as we go about life, as we go through our day. Lord, I pray each morning the prayer of our heart would be, Lord, what do you have for me today? I know I've got, I've got things that I'm planning. Are these the things that you want me to do? Guide me and lead me, Lord, particularly as we interact with people. Lord, your word says that you, that you love the world. Every single person, you love them. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church known for sharing that love, that we would be a church known for uh, making your name known, that people would know there is a God in heaven who loves them. Lord, would we recognize that we're on your side in seeing that happen and that you would give us that correct perspective. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.